We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking geo reyna once again ernie stewart the war for football burhalter mcbride bielsa and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how you doing on this thursday january 26th bright and early over here on the west coast i am doing well feeling a bit left out though i did not attend the u.s game last night you and producer sean sullivan did we did we found our way there and we'll, we'll talk a whole lot more about the game but it was fun it was fun to actually go to a game not work it have some drinks uh hang out with my uh, son and uh, a couple other uh, folks out there and watch my team my national team play and we'll, like i said we'll talk all about what happened on the field now that son that was next to you, mm-hmm. was that the same one who, in the early days of this podcast back in Playa Vista, you brought him into the studio a couple of times? He sat next to me? Yes, that would be him. He has <laughs> since grown as they do. Boy. I keep feeding them and they just keep getting bigger and I can't take them back, either of my children. So, you know. Now, at one point they showed you on the screen and the fans booed. Yes. And your son yes. was right next to you. I'm wondering, at what age do you have that conversation with your children so, where you explain to them that large swaths of the population think you're an asshole? You know what? This, this is interesting here, okay? Um, can I save this? Can I, can I table this for the end of the show? Sure. Because I, I think this is actually, I think this is an actually interesting, well, I think it's interesting. I don't know if anybody else thinks it's interesting, but, you know, we can get very, you know, flippant about it and stuff like that but there isn't there is an element of parenting relative to to what i do that i've thought of that i thought long and hard about so i'm gonna i'm gonna table it but suffice it to say don't worry about him or my daughter uh they're just fine when it comes uh to the way that i am perceived and uh the character that i inhabit um mossy uh have you watched anything i finished the super league doc mm-hmm. i know you did as well Uh, For some context here, back when the European Super League was proposed, most people were against it. You were one of the rare prominent media figures who didn't hate the idea. Mm -hmm. You said so on the air. In fact, they found a clip of you saying (laughs) that and they put it on the podcast. Um, And I know at the time you found the criticism of it very sanctimonious. Your eyelids were sore from how much eye rolling you did during those days. And based on your text messages the last couple of days, you felt some of that same sensation watching this documentary. Yes. So I I watched the the documentary and you had already watched it. And uh, for those that don't know, it's on Apple. Apple Plus or, or whatever, and you can find it out there. And uh, it's really good. I think it's uh, four episodes. Uh, it is called Super League, The War for Football. And for those that don't remember, you know, a few years ago, this this craziness happened uh, where there was this, this for a lot of, what a lot of people uh, looked at as this crazy idea to have this, uh, this breakaway league of all the elites and all the super clubs and it's fascinating because it goes back into it and while it's not that long ago it was really fun to actually kind of relive it and to see all of that craziness both on and off the field uh that uh, that happened i thought it was interesting i thought it was entertaining i thought it was like i said a really fun look back at that craziness to your point i found plenty of hypocrisy and pearl clutching and grandstanding and you know, propagandizing and romance and passion and drama and cynicism and poetry and backstabbing and politicking. 
and it was just glorious BS, and I loved every minute of it. Now, it does take you on a ride, and there were points early on when I was rolling my eyes thinking that this was going to be kind of just a, a puff piece for Seffernan. And the two of the major players that come in are uh, Alexander Seffernan, the head of UEFA. That's his name, right? Alexander uh, Seffernan and uh, Agnelli the head of Juventus, which was one of the breakaway teams, and their personal relationship and how this fractured their personal relationships. And, you know, there's wonderful backroom drama and intrigue and, you know, you know, saber rattling and all this kind of stuff that goes on. And the, the wonderful political nature of it, uh, I, I, I think, just highlights how political these these entities are and these are massive entities that generate incredible amounts of money billions and billions of uh, amounts of money uh, to your to your point also i think as we get further and further away from it, it 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 i'm not saying that people have changed their minds but i think that there is a different way of looking at it and i think what we are left with after watching this documentary is that this will not be the last time that this comes up and there are no saints in this ultimately, if you really look at it with a critical eye. Everybody is out for their own. Money drives everything. Greed to a certain extent does, uh, does too. But as I said, it is shared by all. And when, if and when an entity or an individual, and you see this in this document, is propped up as, you know, angelic and with, without, or with, uh, with incredible virtue, you find out very, very quickly that there are ulterior motives and everybody ultimately is out for themselves as opposed necessarily to the good of the game. Or I should say the good of the game as it benefits them. So that's a, that's a ringing endorsement, I think. You know, my one takeaway is that I now think the European clubs will definitely take part in Johnny Infantino's expanded Club World Cup because that had to be the reason that he came out in favor of the, yeah, or he, against the Super League. Yeah, he comes in, you know, a little bit into it, and, you know, the whole FIFA part of it comes in. And it's just fascinating. So it, it's really, it's really, I think it's really well done and a really interesting look. I'm not sure if, if you're not into soccer, how much you will take from it. It, it is kind of in the weeds for us soccer folks uh, out there, but I still think if you're not, you can still find some interesting, like I said, drama and intrigue uh, around it. Watch anything else? That's it. Okay. Well, uh, let's uh, let's light this candle. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. So let's start out with uh, the news. We came into work early today. We were recording this on Thursday morning. Usually we do this on Wednesday, but we wanted to do it after the U.S. men's national team game because we wanted to talk about the U.S. men's national team. What we didn't know was that United States Soccer Federation, as they are wont to do, scheduled a surprise uh, uh, conference call to announce out of nowhere that Ernie Stewart has now uh, left the United States Soccer Federation to take a job back in uh, you know, the country of his birth, uh, Holland, with, uh, with PSV. So I, I guess congratulations to a certain extent are in order for Ernie Stewart because this is you know, a, a job that I think he um, values and covets. But it does come at a time that is very interesting. So this announcement was not that Ernie Stewart was fired, but that he was taking this job and moving on after guiding the U.S. over this last cycle back to the World Cup. And by all accounts, you know, you have people that agree or disagree, but I think in totality, it was looked at and will be looked at as a successful type of venture for uh, Ernie Stewart. What remains to be seen is did Ernie Stewart see the writing on the wall in that he possibly was not going to be part of going forward? Or did he just say, you know what, I've had enough of this shit show and I don't want to deal with it, especially what's happened over this last couple of months and weeks with the, you know, the Reina situation and all the, uh, the perceived and real connections and relationships and potential conflicts of interest, all of that kind of stuff. And he said, you know, this is the time uh, to get out. Ultimately, this, this is made to look like this was what he wanted. And I, I don't doubt Sidney Cohn um, in terms of the conference call that they gave just before we came on air talking about it. And it was all very positive about Ernie, uh, Ernie Stewart. We also come to find out that Brian McBride had decided at the end of last year that he was not going to continue in his role as GM. We know he's, he's out and he just, he basically stayed around for this month to kind of uh, pass it on as uh, 
Ernie Stewart evidently will be staying around until the end of February. What the, the news to come out of this, besides the actual change here, is that Cindy Parlacone, the president of the, United, of the United States Soccer Federation, did confirm that Greg Berhalter continues to be a possible candidate going forward. Having said that, there is no head coach right now of the U.S. men's national team. There is no GM uh, of the U.S. men's national team. And now there is no sporting director of not just the U.S. men's national team, but all the national teams, which is what Ernie Stewart was in that position. So there are a lot of open opportunities. And Cindy Paula Cohn <laughs> on the call that today, I think rightfully said that while this is not necessarily something that they anticipated, it does in a strange way give them a blank slate and an opportunity to maybe fix some of the problems that they see and if they can, to upgrade in positions going forward. And I think that's the proper way to frame it but I also think that it lays bare, you know, some of, you know, the, the, the lack of direction, the rudderlessness, if you will, of at least from the, the men's side of this U.S. Uh, soccer federation. And so hopefully get it right. Again, it, it, in, in a normal circumstance, this would be an important time. It is that much more important that we are coming to 2026, which I will again emphasize is a huge, huge opportunity. And we cannot afford to get this wrong in terms of the people that are in charge and are going to lead us forward and maximizing the platform that is the World Cup. So I think this is a crucial moment in not just U.S. men's national team history, but in U.S. soccer history as to who fills these positions, what these positions uh, do, and what happens over here in the next, let's be honest, three and, a half year, uh, three and a half years, not four years. I don't buy what you said about Greg Berhalter. I now think there is zero chance that he remains okay. the coach because he lost his biggest ally in Ernie Stewart. Uh, this is vindication for you, my friend, because yesterday you sent out a tweet saying that U.S. soccer had no discernible direction. Matt Doyle pushed back on that. He kept saying that as long as Ernie Stewart was in charge, he did feel like there would be some continuity from this past cycle to the next one, regardless of who the coach was. I saw this morning Matt Doyle accepting defeat on that, saying you were right. So yeah, it's uh, deeply concerning. 2023 is already giving me 2018 vibes with Anthony Hudson playing the role of Dave Sarakin. The, the difference is, in 2018, the U.S. had no major tournaments. You still felt like that being a lost year didn't really affect the cycle overall. There was plenty of time to get a new coach in place, which they ultimately did with Greg Berhalter. Uh, this time around, there are some major tournaments taking place. The Nations League semis and final of the summer, the Gold Cup as well. So they got to get going here and start filling these positions and figuring out what direction they're heading in. Yeah. And, you know, on the conference call, they said that they're looking to fill this position, the, the head coaching position and the sporting director and I guess the GM position by this this summer. To your point, U.S. is playing in Gold Cup. The U.S. is playing in uh, Nations League. Th there are games and important games. And we every day we are getting closer and closer. And I tweeted it out yesterday. I can't remember what it was, but 1,200 you know, uh, days until the World Cup. It's, it, it, it is going to come like that. And we have got to be prepared. And again, Lemons, uh, lem lemonade out of lemons, if uh, you know the saying out there. So, is this ideal? No, but maybe that silver lining is it gets us to a point where we get rid of some of the problems that uh, that we have, and we get better people in. You know, so people ask me, well, so what would you do? I would immediately go and ask Peter Vermes to take uh, Ernie Stewart's spot. Okay, I think, and I've, I've told you this before, I think that he is wonderful, whether he's a coach, whether he's a GM, whether he's a sporting director. I love the way that he thinks about the game. I think he has context. I think he has, you know, history. Yes. And for some people, that's not a good, good thing. You know, by the way, I, I saw someone, uh, uh, you know, screaming and yelling about, again, all of the connections. And maybe this is a moment where we can get rid of all those connections. You are never going to get rid of all those connections. Everybody, to a certain extent, is connected in the soccer, in the soccer world. And again, unless you want to hear somebody that has absolutely nothing to do with soccer, fine. And even then, there will still be connections, I, I, I guarantee. So, you know, I, you know, Peter Vermes has been around for a long time. I don't know if he would even consider doing something uh, like this. He's got a real good gig in Kansas City and basically is the king of uh, Sporting KC over there and has built that program into what it is. But there, th this is still 
you know, this is still plum type of opportunities out there for people, whether it's the coach or whether it's the, the GM. And we still don't know if that position is even going to be filled or, or continue on. We really didn't know, like we said before, what Brian McBride ultimately did. Um, and or certainly whether it's the uh, position that Ernie Stewart inhabited at that sporting director position. Do you trust Cindy Parlo Cohn to make all these big decisions and get it right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, th I think like, like anybody in that position or anybody, any human being, she has her positives and, and negatives. Keep in mind also, you know, she must get up every day and say, why the hell am I doing this? Okay. <laughs> Why do I need this crap every single day? By the way, on a volunteer basis, not getting paid. And look, there are, there are perks, and she certainly has enhanced her brand and image by going through this. And there has been plenty of positive stuff that has happened on her watch, but there's also plenty of negative stuff that has happened on her watch. And I think she gets the benefit of the doubt. Um, whether that's fair or not is not for me, for me ultimately to decide, but, but she... Yeah, I mean, that's a long way of saying I think that she will get this right. I think she will surround her people and be smart enough to surround herself with people that will help her get this right. But we have to get this right. Again, in normal circumstances, we have to get this right, but even more so now because of what is at stake in 2026. And I'm not just talking about the wins and losses on the field. I'm talking about all of the other opportunities. You need smart people. You need people that understand the opportunity and are going to find a way to harness that opportunity that is 2026. And I don't know how many of them we have right now at the, at the Soccer Federation. It's easy from the outside for me to say that. On the coach front, Leander Sherlockins wrote mm -hmm. a great piece on the ringer about how difficult it's going to be to find the ideal coach. Uh, we were going to talk about that later in the pod. Yeah, Do you want to touch yeah. on Yeah, I, I disagree with Leander's uh, piece, uh, with the, th the thesis of it, which is that it's not actually an attractive position to coach the U.S. men's national team. And, you know, he, he actually does a really good job of, you know, talking about all of the different reasons and, to be honest, talking about a lot of the dysfunction that exists. Um, I still think that it is a plum job, maybe even because you are coming in at a time where people have low expectations and are cynical and pessimistic about what is going on, despite the fact that we... we we really shouldn't be, given the fact that we have made incredible strides even over the last four years, whether people want to admit it or not. But you have a, a wonderful young generation that is at your disposal that is only going to get better, a great generation coming up behind them that is going to, uh, is going to challenge. And you get the opportunity to be the king. You get the opportunity to be the savior. You get the opportunity to be a legend in American soccer if you are successful with this team come 2026. And I think that that's attractive uh, to a lot of people. And I don't think that, especially from the outside, you know, we're, we're internal. And so it's all amplified internally for us. And we sometimes put much more meaning onto things than others, especially those on the outside. I don't think that it deters or detracts from the attractiveness of the job from the outside when people see what we on the inside are looking at as ridiculousness and dysfunction and craziness um, in, in terms of behavior and attitude and circumstance. I don't think that people see that on the outside. Anthony Hudson now in charge yes. on an interim basis. He presided over the U.S.'s first game of 2023 last night in Los Angeles, a 2-1 defeat to Serbia. The U.S. took the lead through Brandon Vasquez, a nice header off a great cross by Julian Gressel. Serbia equalized with a free kick late in the first half and then took the lead in the first minute of the second half, and that was the final. You were there. Your thoughts on this one? So first off, I was there, and we had uh, field-level types of seats, and so the perspective, literally the perspective on the game, was very, very different than if I'm normally watching on television or if I'm up in the box or if I'm up, uh, up higher. And it was actually fun to watch it from that perspective. Let's just, let's just go through the players, okay? Because this is much more about individual players. I don't think Anthony Hudson has any chance in hell of being the head coach, okay? Um, I just don't think that that's something that they, are, that they are going to do. It's not that he's not potentially a good coach, but I just don't think at this point that that's a possibility going forward. And so in every sense of the word, I think he's a, you know, just a lame duck type of uh, stopgap type of thing which makes it a little different to assess, uh, difficult to assess him and this team. They looked like a young and experienced team that hadn't played together. And individual mistakes ultimately led to both of those goals. And, you know, that's, that's a problem, but it's not a team or collective problem. And to Matt Doyle's pro, uh, you know, 
assessment and uh, assertion yesterday. And like, this isn't, I actually agree with Matt Doyle in terms of what he said in that they had established, even now, even notwithstanding Ernie leaving, that the U.S. men's national team had kind of established a way that they ultimately wanted to play. And you could see glimpse of it, glimpses, glimpses of it even in that game with a whole new array of players. Uh, Gaga Solnino and Goal. Slanina in goal uh, made some very good saves, including an incredible save in which he got hit on the head. Um, neither goal was his fault. Uh, and so I think that he he put himself in a good position to continue on and to continue to be looked at as the potential future of the goalkeeping position for uh, the men's uh, the men's national team. For him, I think the bigger thing is where is he going to get loaned out ultimately with after this move? And so that was good. Julian Gressel, we talked about him, 29 years old, uh, going through the college system, then MLS system, finally got his passport. And look, he got the assist and showed out wide why he is so sought after and so um, deadly at times in terms of what he does. So I thought he was good. Uh, when Dewan Jones came in uh, at that right back position, I thought he was adequate, um, still kind of trying to figure out that position. Uh, Walker Zimmerman, I'm not sure how much longer Walker Zimmerman is going to be around for this U.S. men's national team. And by the way, when Aaron Long came in, I think the same can be said for both of those. And so I guess for me, I don't know why Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long were even there. Okay, Jalen Neal, the young uh, Galaxy center back, made a mistake on the goal. It's going to happen. And this is the time and place if you're going to make a mistake to do it. Having said that, if you cut out that mistake, you wouldn't have known he's a teenager and you wouldn't have known he has very little experience. So I think he is absolutely one to look at for the, uh, uh, the future. Um, let's see. Jonathan Gomez didn't do much for me. Aiden Morris, I think, is limited, as is Paxton Palmnicol, in that they are both good, but they are not great. I think their mobility and their speed is good but not elite, ultimately, especially for the international level and for the uh, U.S. men's midfield. Kellen Acosta was there, and you know he's kind of been around and will be. I thought Senora was non-existent and just a lot of flatter-to-deceive type of movement and unnecessary movement. He's just kind of a jitterbug out there, but really didn't do a whole lot. Eric Williamson came in uh, late in the game, didn't do a whole lot, although I, I had told you how excited I was about his return to the national team, but he might be one where it's hard for him to come in as a substitute. He's much more of a, a rhythm type of player. Uh, the big, you know, one of the big uh, focal points was uh, Zendejas, Alex Zendejas. And I thought he grew into the game and became much more active and I think got much more comfortable. And absolutely, I would still look at him going forward. Brandon Vasquez scored the goal and that's about all he did. But hey, there's nothing more valuable in our game. <laughs> and considering what we've talked about over the last few months that with him relative to the national team, you, you put him in the game to score goals. He has shown with his ability in the air and his size and speed that he can get in good positions. And ultimately, he did what he was there to do, which was score a goal. Matthew Hoppy came in and was horrible. Um, Kate Cowell, I thought, was the best of the players on the night. Now, with this caveat, his work rate and his athleticism are off the charts. That will still that'll get you far, but it'll only get you so far. Uh, but I did think that he really took a hold of the opportunity and was constantly asking questions, was constantly forcing the, uh, forcing the issue. Paul Ariola came in in the second half and didn't, uh, didn't do a whole lot. So I don't know. Th th those are the individual assessment. As a team, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it, nobody's going to remember this game. Uh, next up, Columbia. Oh, wait, did, you, did you have any thoughts on the game? Well, you covered it, my friend. Was it? That I was, mean, did uh, we get it? We, okay. Uh, I would but say. But if you disagree with any of them. I'm, no, no. Kate Cowell for me was the best player. Too, yeah. Okay. Vasquez for the goal. And Slonina made a couple of really nice saves. You know, there was a play, Serbia, in the first half where beautiful buildup, a dummy, and then a little chip pass and this volley. And had that gone in, it would have been eerily similar to Kylian Mbappe's goal in the final that made it 2 2. Yep. Uh, but volley, Slonina yep. saved it. I thought, I mean, I know nobody cares about Serbia, but they actually played some lovely stuff. Uh, and they were a very young and inexperienced team, too. Yeah. So they're, you know, they, they were looking at this as a development type of game, True. too. Yeah. But so next up, Saturday against uh, Colombia. Um, of the players who didn't start and came on against Serbia, who would you like to see get a chance from the start? Williamson, I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see him start. Um, but dun, 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 dun. 
Yeah, I mean that, that you know that's somebody that I would uh, that would like to see start. I mean, I don't care to see Hoppy anymore. I don't think he's good enough for this level. And ultimately, Brandon Vasquez, I, I I want to I want to continue to see him playing. I want to continue to see him in that role and see if he really is the nine that we have been longing for and missing for so long. You know who is good enough Who's to that? play for the U.S. men's national team? Gio Reyna. He plays for the U.S. men's national team, right? Yep, he did it again. <laughs> uh, came off the bench and scored a stoppage time winner for Dortmund against Mainz. Anything you didn't say the other day about the situation that you'd like to say today? No, I just reiterate that I'm happy for Gio Reyna. I'm happy <laughs> that he is scoring goals. I mean, I thought I thought I made myself pretty clear. And 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 by the way, in the same way that you know Brandon Vasquez scoring yesterday against Serbia doesn't mean that he is necessarily the the, the answer. You know, I go back to Gio Reyna. Look, nobody again, nobody is disagreeing that this is a unique talent. But that unique talent wasn't on display during the World Cup, both in terms of the the time that he got, albeit limited time that he got on the field, and obviously in terms of his behavior. So whatever Gio Reyna is right now, I would have loved to have that Gio Reyna in the World Cup. But through his actions, all right, and his behavior, we weren't able to have that. So, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that he is scoring. I'm glad that he is coming on in this super sub type of role and making the most of it for, you know, for his, uh, for his team. I'm glad that he obviously has the confidence of his, play, uh, of his teammates and of his coaching staff to be put in that position. It's what, it's what you expect of him. So, yeah, it was great. I, uh, I, I hope he continues to do it. Uh, one note, uh, this Burhalter reyna situation has officially passed the mom test. Oh, really? I was on the phone with my mother a couple of days ago, and she randomly brought it up to me and started analyzing it. <laughs> By the way, our former producer, Francis Silva, now Francis Arthur, she used to hate when I said on the pod, the mom test. She finds that sexist. Why isn't it the dad test? Why, why is it Well, that- because it involved your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Francis would understand that. I, I think she would. If she's listening right now, believe me, she's cringing. She, oh, but, she's cringing? Yeah. All right, well. um, lots of uh, transfer news involving U.S. national team players. Yes. Christian Pulisic, lots of stories linking him to AC Milan. That would be in the summer. He does need to get out of Chelsea uh, with the additions of Mudrik now and Nkunku in the summer. I don't think there's going to be much playing time for him there. Would AC Milan be a decent landing spot for him? Yeah, in that I think he needs, I mean, we all understand that if he's not going to be playing at all, he needs a change. Um, I, I actually think that Italian soccer for him and the style that he plays, I think it's much, I think he's much more suited to that necessarily than uh, than the EPL. So that would be interesting uh, from me. But I mean, shouldn't he just go to Leeds like everybody else? <laughs> Well, we'll go there next. Uh, by the way, on AC Milan, assuming they hold on to Rafael Leon, Pulisic would have to play on the right. It's fine. Um, which he can. But, yeah, I mean, I just think the way that he plays, it, it's just, it's much more Italian. And, and, and Spanish, for that matter. And AC Milan also trying to get Zaniolo from Roma, so we'll keep an eye on that. But you mentioned Leeds. Uh, in Christian Pulisic's case, it would be an American going from the Premier League to Serie A. Wes and McKinney might be going in the opposite direction there's a growing sentiment that he's going to end up at Leeds United. They've already gotten him to sign off on the deal, agreed personal terms. Leeds and Juventus are haggling over the fee right now, but it sounds like this is going to happen. And the reaction among U.S. fans appears to be mixed. You know, when you're starting every week at Juventus, and whatever issues that club is having, it's still Juventus. When you're mm-hmm. starting every week at Juventus and getting linked to the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool, and it ends up being Leeds United, it does feel a tad underwhelming. Plus, you know, Americans... They want to have different clubs uh, they can follow through the prism of U.S. players. And this is starting to feel like overkill. You already have leads. You have an American coach there and two of the top six or seven best American players in the world. Do you need another one to join a club that's realistically not going to be challenging for major trophies, not going to play in the Champions League? So I, I don't love this move. Well, so, so first off, this brings up a good question. Do you think that the American influence at Leeds, okay, uh, Jesse Marsh is head coach. By the way, Chris Armas, who just got named as his assistant coach, um, now on that staff. 
uh, Tyler Adams, uh, we know, uh, Brendan Aronson. Uh, do you think that that American influence, or how much do you think that is dictated because these players and these coaches are American? You mean their pursuit of Wes and McKinney? Well, you know, my point is that if there wasn't an American owner at Leeds, would any of these players and coaches have a job there at Leeds? Uh, the Marsh appointment, I think, was influenced by that because he had failed at Leipzig and he was kind of a random name to come up with at that point when they sacked Bielsa. But all the other ones, I mean, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, I think, are players that any Premier League club would have been interested in regardless, and Wesson McKinney too. So I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that those guys would have been signing with those okay, kinds of so clubs then, regardless. So then why would it be overkill to have Weston McKinney, who, to your point, is a starter in Serie A for Juventus now coming uh, coming to leagues? Because you framed it as if it was this, this American overkill that is happening as opposed to a great midfield player that they can get now coming to Leeds. Oh, I think it's a good signing for Leeds. Um, I'm just wondering from a U.S. fans' perspective, they want different, be able to follow different clubs. They want to spread their chips exactly. around a whole lot more. It's a little yeah, bit yeah, of... I, I get that. I mean, look, the only reason that I'm watching Leeds, again, I've told you this before, is because of the American influence. So, it, But that's already worked its magic, right? That's I didn't I mean, need yeah. Weston McKinney there to, uh, to, actually, uh, to actually do it. But I'll take it, but... But as I said last episode, and you know, as I tweeted out this week, I think Weston McKinney's better than Leeds. I agree. Um, John Brooks didn't play much at Benfica. John Brooks is not better than Leeds. <laughs> He's now headed back to the Bundesliga. He signed with Hoffenheim. 29 years of age. What do you think? Obviously, Greg Berhalter was not a fan. But depending on who the new coach is, might John Brooks work his way back into the U.S. national team picture? I mean, I don't know. I think that ship has sailed. And certainly the last couple of years have not been good for him in, in, in his foray outside of Germany. So let's, I mean, I, I want good things for him and I hope he comes back. And who knows, maybe he has a, a renaissance a la Tim Ream, another left-footed defender uh, out there. So that would, but I don't, I don't necessarily see him. And Tim, Tim Ream has not really gone through that major injury or not playing type of period. Tim's always has kind of been a constant and a go-to type of uh, type of player and will, and was for the U.S. team in the, in the World Cup. So no, I don't think that this changes the calculation when it comes to John Brooks relative to the, uh, the U.S. men's national team, but I do wish him well. Uh, the Marcelo Bielsa Mexico story, which we talked about on a previous podcast, has taken a strange turn is it really that strange? I feel like the U.S. and Mexico federations are engaging in this Messi-Ronaldo-like duel to see <laughs> which is more dysfunctional at this point. It sounds like, from reading these stories, what I can gather is there is a committee in place uh, comprised of owners of different clubs to try to appoint a new Mexico national team coach. They wanted Bielsa. They offered the job to him. He was mulling it over. In the interim, that committee disbanded. A different committee was formed with owners of different clubs. And Bielsa accepted the offer, but now this new committee doesn't want him. So they're going to say thanks, but no thanks. Uh, they want instead either Guillermo Almada, who is this Uruguayan, currently the coach of Pachuca, just won the Apertura title, or Miguel Herrera, who's coached Mexico before. But, I mean, w whatever you think of Bielsa and whether he would have been a good fit or not, this is just a very messy way to approach this. Let me just put this to rest. All right, Whatever dysfunction you may attach to the United States Soccer Federation, believe me, it is 10 times worse when it comes to the Mexican Federation and the in-bed nature and partnership nature that they have with the clubs and the presidents of, of the club. And, you know, they probably look at it as a fundamental type of association and relationship and symbiotic type of thing. That's probably how they would how, how they would frame it. But it should it's it should surprise you, me and nobody out there that leaders of Liga MX teams are ultimately making this decision. This is nothing new. This has been around for years and years and years. You know, that, that it's not Bielsa, that's interesting because this is a big name and this is someone that I think um, would bring attention. It's also someone they know from his, uh, from his history with, uh, with, with Mexican soccer. So I, I think it is 
a little bit a little bit strange and i think the mexican soccer community and fan base is ultimately when this is all said and done going to look and say well how did we end up with you know almada or herrera or whatever when we could have had bielsa when having the owners of clubs decide creates such an obvious conflict of interest no mossy how dare you because the previous committee was headed by, I guess, the Pachuca owner, and he was trying to steer them away from Guillermo Almada because he's the Pachuca coach. He didn't want to lose him. <laughs> and so now they're going to end up hiring him. But, I mean, that, that's, it's such an odd way to go about it. What? I, I mean, you've been following this game for years. <laughs> I, it blows my mind how surprised you are. You're not that young and naive, my friend. This, the, the politics and the... Uh, you know, the the nepotism and the familiar type of situations, they exist in all countries and cultures and federations out there. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's right, but, you know, to to clutch pearls and to go back and say, I can't believe that the that this is happening. Well, then you haven't been paying attention. And and one last point on this and we'll move on. I've, I've read a lot of tweets that Bielsa wouldn't be a good fit uh, for a national team because he likes to work day to day with players. He did an outstanding job with Chile which in terms of the talent level, I think is actually somewhat analogous to yeah. the Mexico job. So uh, that needs to be thrown into the equation. I guess he might end up at Everton now. That's the other uh, it's possibility. The, it's and the bucket. Seems like the only it's one. the bucket, Mossy. That throw, throws people off. Uh, one MLS news item and then a sad story to end on. Uh, the news item, uh, the Red Bulls, it looks like, are going to sign a Belgian striker, Dante Van Zier, as a designated player. Would be a club record fee. 24 years old. Not too familiar with him, but has a pretty good scoring record in the Belgian league. Has also been capped internationally. Uh, the Red Bulls have already signed Corey Burke this offseason. They kept Elias Manuel, the young Brazilian. They have Luis Morgan, Luquinhas. So that would be an interesting addition. Yeah, I mean, look, anytime an MLS team signs a designated player, there is going to be added curiosity and focus on that player, and rightfully so, especially if it's a player that people haven't really followed or haven't really heard of. And in those instances, you are spending DP money with the hopes that this change and this platform is going to enhance his image and, and obviously uh, have the, uh, the asset appreciate uh, going forward. And this is what it is for Dante Benzier. I don't know if we're pronouncing that, uh, that right. But yeah, I, I, I get excited when somebody does that because of the unknown. All right? I, I get excited because there is obviously smart men and women behind the scenes, I think, <laughs> who have said this player is worth this type of money and worth this designation as a uh, as a dp even though people haven't heard of him we see that diamond in the rough or we see potential here that maybe others don't or can't and finally uh the funeral was held in charlotte for anton walks who passed away tragically late last week uh, very sad story yeah horrible horrible story and you know a horrible uh moment for not just Charlotte FC, which is where he, uh, he currently uh, plays, played, um, but also for all of us in soccer and obviously Major League Soccer. And they had a, you know, an hour-long celebration of life uh, to, as it says, you know, celebrate this incredible young man and everything that he was to his team, to his teammates, to his community, to uh, to the league, you know, and this was, you know, this was a player that started out in England and came over here and found not just a soccer life, but found, found a life and tragically passed away in a boating, uh, accident last week. And just, you know, again, if you need it and, um, maybe every once in a while, unfortunately, uh, you do, uh, a reminder of how fleeting it can be. And I think, you know, the fans and the players and everybody involved in, uh, in Major League Soccer and soccer in general extends our, uh, our condolences to uh, his family and his friends and, you know, his community for this incredible, uh, incredible loss. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, do a little uh, preview of what's to come this weekend. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Mossy, we got some uh, games coming up this weekend. Reminder that uh, EPL, which I know a lot of people focus on, is dark off this weekend in terms of EPL games, but there is still EPL teams playing. Correct. We'll begin in England 
League Cup semifinal first legs took place this week. Both away teams victorious. Newcastle 1-0 over Southampton. Joe Ellington with the only goal. Manchester United 3-0 winners over Nottingham Forest. Marcus Rashford with another sensational goal. Your boy Voot Veghurst made it 2-0 and then Bruno Fernandes rounded out the scoring. So that tie is done and dusted. Newcastle will probably move on as well. The second legs are next week. Looks like we're headed for Newcastle, Manchester United at Wembley in the League Cup final. Wow. League, wait, League Cup final. Okay. Yeah. That's different. That's the, uh, that's the other kind. Correct. And let me just say, I don't get many things right, but okay. I've always been a big Marcus Rashford fan, mm-hmm. always defended him. I feel like at times he's been dragged down by the dysfunction at Manchester United, had the wrong coaches like Jose Mourinho, but uh, I always knew he had this in him. Uh, he's putting it all together right now. It's beautiful to watch. Uh, he is right now, current form, one of the best players in the world. He actually reminds me of Kylian Mbappe. He's kind of a poor man's version of Mbappe. He mm-hmm. can play on the wings. He can play down the middle. His movements, the types of goals he scores, it's kind of similar. Big fan. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's playing out of his mind. Every single time he touches the ball, it is forward. It is with a salivation of things that are in front of him in a way that we saw when he first burst onto the scene. And, you know, this is kind of this, this weird thing where he had this, this middle moment where, you know, he's getting all sorts of attention and, you know, we went through the pandemic and, you know, there was all of the off-field stuff that was going on, you know, much of it positive in terms of his, uh, his activism and, uh, you know, his support of, uh, you know, of groups and of things off the field where he was getting massive amounts of attention. And, you know, for, for a young player, to even for a young player in England where you're kind of brought up in that bubble, it can still be, you know, probably incredibly challenging to have to work through that as your your life is changing, your body is changing, your lot, like I said, in life is changing, and you know, the money and the prestige and the attention and the focus and the expectation both on and off the field. And so it's nice to see him come out of that. And in doing so, you know, provide incredible uh, moments. And maybe to your point, you know, the the Ten Hag era, era and moment we saw earlier this year where, you know, he you know, he was late for a meeting and he didn't start him. And that didn't completely blow up in anybody's face. As a matter of fact, it, it might have worked out well for both parties in in that moment. So, yeah, uh, I you know, to your point, um, it's fun to see a player who at a young age was put on this pedestal because oftentimes we see where it do- they don't live up to it not only live up to it, but now, I mean, the way he's playing even even surpassed some of our expectations. As you mentioned, no Premier League this weekend. The FA Cup fourth round takes place. Uh, the big one on Friday, Manchester City, Arsenal at the Etihad. Those are, of course, the top two teams in the Premier League. You wonder if that game will have any psychological carryover in the league race. Remind me again, what does the FA Cup winner get? Is it, is it direct uh, to any tournament? Europa. To Europa, right? Yeah. I mean, if it matters to the, the, the teams ultimately. Right. But there is still a, a carrot, not a, albeit not a big carrot for some of these big clubs. But okay. In France, uh, PSG this week defeated a six-tier club, Pays de Cassel, in the Coupe de France. 7-0. Kylian Mbappe scored five goals. Keep in mind, however, the captain for this six-tier club is a PSG ultra. He came out before the game and said the main priority was not injuring Mbappe because PSG has a Champions League tie against Bayern Munich coming up. So uh, take it with a grain of salt that Mbappe then went out and scored five goals in this one. <laughs> Long live the pyramid, Mossy. All right. <laughs> Pro-Rel. All right. Little engine that could. Everybody's got a chance. Uh, in Ligue 1 <laughs> this weekend, PSG will host Hans. <laughs> okay. Are you sure that's, that's how you pronounce it? That's right. how you pronounce I, it. I, I listen. Far be it me for me to doubt you. Okay. I believe that's the capital of the Champagne territory. All right. Well, don't get right. cocky. All right. Joan of Arc. Okay. Uh, um, in Germany, uh, the big one this weekend, Bayern Munich will host Eintracht Frankfurt. That's first against fourth. Bayern, uh, yet to win a game since coming back from the winter break. They needed a late Joshua Kimmich goal to salvage a point against Cologne midweek. They've drawn both games so far. Still in first place, though. They'll face Eintracht Frankfurt. Gio Reyna and Dortmund are away to Leverkusen. Yeah, so Bayern Munich at 36 points. Uh, Union Berlin hanging in there. Three points back. Leipzig, uh, four points back. And uh, to your point, both Eintracht Frankfurt and Dortmund, five points back. So there's still there's still a little bit of a cushion, but it's getting interesting, which we don't often say when it comes to Bundesliga, so that's a good thing. 
In Spain, the Copa del Rey quarterfinals off and running on Wednesday. Barcelona beat Real Sociedad 1-0. Usman Dembele with the only goal. So they advance to the semis. Osasuna beat Sevilla. They move on as well. We're taping this uh, Thursday morning. Coming up later today, I can't wait for this. Real Madrid will host Atletico Madrid. What we'll you see got? I think Real Madrid will prevail and advance. I think they're they're over their little crisis there and they're they are. playing well again. Real Madrid also involved in the best La Liga match of the weekend. They will be home to Sociedad, Barcelona away to Girona. So lots going on in Spain right now. All right. All right. Anything else? <laughs> that doesn't, I mean, so you say, oh, I'm really excited about Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. So why? Do you think Real Madrid is going to win anyway? Big derby, very okay. intense. Rivalries, it's what it's all about. Oh, now it's about rivalries. Okay, good. Okay, good. Uh, and then in Italy, on Tuesday, Lazio demolished AC Milan 4-0 at the Olimpico. Well, my, they need Pulisic. My man, Felipe Anderson, he's been starting as a false nine in the absence of Chiro Immobile. He's scored in four straight games, played very well, the Brazilian. And I'll tell you, with Juve having that points deduction and AC Milan and Inter Milan both inconsistent, this has turned into a procession for Napoli. I mean, they're right. going to run away with this thing. They're going to win easily. I, even before the 15, I, I, you know, we, yeah. we said, I, you know, I, this is theirs. And they're involved in the big City app match of the weekend. They will host Jose Mourinho and Roma. Okay, but more importantly, so now we, we talked about this earlier in the week and that 15-point uh, thing. So Juventus now sits at 23 points, all right? Champions League is top four. Inter right now is in that last and fourth place at 37 points. So again, 14 points they need to find a way uh, to make up. It's going to be difficult to say the least. And uh, particularly if they lose Wesson McKinney, exactly. Got to send them to exactly. Leeds United. Exactly. I mean, they're they're in free free fall. Uh, can I geek out here for one of second? Of you can, my friend. That's uh, why we made this show in the first place. One bonus game occurring this weekend that I'm going to have my eye on on Saturday. The Brazilian Super Cup, Palmeiras against Flamengo. That's the Brasileiro winner from the previous year. Palmeiras against the Copa do Brasil winner, Flamengo. These are currently the two best clubs in South America. They've combined to win the last four Copa Libertadores titles, two apiece. Flamengo won it last year, which is why they'll be playing in the Club World Cup early next month in Morocco. Where is this being played? Real Madrid and Seattle. This one is being played in Brasilia, the capital, at the okay. Mané Garrincha Stadium. Okay. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, leading the line for Palmeiras will be... 16-year-old Endrick, this phenom, considered the next big thing in Brazilian football, a player who Real Madrid have already bought for a fee that with bonuses could rise up to 70 million euros. And we're just one naming him, right? It's just Endrick, right? Just Endrick. Okay. Just Endrick. I mean, I'm sure he's got four or five names like most of you guys do, and but we're just sticking with Endrick, right? Yep. Ah, wait, that's an easy name. That's that, that's good. doesn't have an umlaut or you know accents or, or something like that, right? Okay. Um, all right. Well, look forward to that. That wasn't that geeky, you know, especially when you know, you're talking about someone like Endrick who may or may not be the future uh, that we're talking about. Any, anything else for this weekend you want to hit on? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's time for uh, Ask Alexi. You can uh, use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, out there on all the social media platforms. And you can uh, find us and follow us when it comes to our handle, which is SOTU with Alexi on all of those social media platforms. Or you can do, as people have done today, call in at 657-549-2297, which is our State of the Union podcast hotline. Again, at 657-549-2297. Now, I get, I get this question uh, oftentimes, Mossy, about the types of calls that we get, how we screen them, and how many are just people that want to use it as an opportunity to more directly scream and yell and tell me uh, about hor how horrible I am and the antichrist uh, that I am. We, we certainly get those, and we don't in intentionally screen them out. Some of them <laughs> we literally just cannot use on, uh, on air, and some of them just don't work for the, the, the things that we're doing. But you know, while we are, and when I say we, I mean uh, producer Sean, ultimately vets these to make sure that, you know, they fit and they are appropriate for what we are talking about. That doesn't, you know, preclude um, negative or critical uh, or or uh, raving types of uh, voicemails that we have. And maybe, who knows, maybe here in the next couple of calls, we might have, uh, you know, one of those. But anyway, uh, should we listen to some of these, Mossy? Yep, let's hear the first one right now. Hey, Lexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Joe calling from Golden, Colorado. 
enjoyed the show. You guys do a great job covering a wide range of topics. I want to hear what you think about Berhalter's future in the event he is not retained by U.S. soccer. What do you predict? Does he go back to coaching club? If so, is it MLS, or would you envision the possibility that he would be picked up by, let's say, Everton, who happens to need a new manager at this point? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. All right. Uh, thank you, Joe, from Golden, Colorado. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I we had talked about this, and I had mentioned it on, a, on previous pod, that th- through, you know, it, it's not, again, it's unfair, but it's just the, the the reality of this moment right now that he is going to be associated with this story now wherever he goes. I, I think that he will have opportunities. I don't think that, you know, the Everton situation is going to be one of them. You know, keep in mind that Jesse Marsh, and, you know, this is, this is not a bad thing. It's actually a very smart thing on his part to recognize how those pathways exist, use that back door of the Red Bulls in order to find a way into Europe and do those things. And, you know, while, while Greg has been in Europe, I still think that his opportunities, even having been a coach uh, internationally, are going to be limited to uh, MLS jobs. And, you know, to a certain extent, from an international perspective, I do think that there are, you know, smaller types of countries out there that would look at him as... You know, absolutely a possibility, but nothing big, nothing, I don't think, European, whether it's in a club situation for, for, for the big countries out there and for the big uh, um, leagues and teams out there um, or for the big na- international teams out there. And w- if the craziness of the last month hadn't happened, would that be different? I'm still not so sure. I, I, st- I still think that that probably is Unfortunately, because I think he's better than that that says, I think still that is his lot right now. And he will have to explain himself, like I said, rightly or wrongly, unfortunately, in every single one of those interviews and conversations that he has relative to the craziness that, uh, that we've seen. What do you think? The situation probably rules him out of Dortmund as a possibility. <laughs> Oh, Mossy. Oh, my goodness. Speaking speaking of Gio Reyna, I'm told that's the subject of this next animated call that we're going to listen to right now. Okay. Hey, Lexi, Mossy. How's it going, guys? It's Greg here from New York. Was just wondering specifically for Alexi, how does it feel that Gio Reyna has more talent in his thumbnail than you had throughout your entire career? Keep defending Berhalter. You MLS disgrace. Geo is the future. That's it? Okay, so first off, I want to make sure that I got this this right. I think he said Greg from New York, and I think, because I couldn't understand it, and he might have been, I don't know what language he was talking, but I think um, through his broken English uh, that he was talking about my what he sees and, and perceives as support of Greg Berhalter, and then comparing and contrasting Gio Reyna as a player to me, right? I think that's a good Correct. synopsis. All right, yes. good. I'm glad I got that. It was hard to get through that, uh, that heavy accent. Um, well, thank you, Greg, first off, for listening. Thank you for calling in and expressing, uh, expressing yourself. When it comes to Gio Reyna's talent relative to mine, uh, you know, I, I, I get a lot of this uh, when, uh, when I talk about players and when I talk about uh, talk about soccer in that, oh, you know, um, this player is better than you. I readily admit that whether it's Gio Reyna or any number of players out there, the players that they are, and potentially could be if they continue, continue on, are light years better than, than I am. I don't think that that precludes me from being able to assess or being able to comment or opine on uh, players going forward. I don't, I don't, I'm not jealous of Gio or anybody else out there, Greg, when it comes to the opportunities that they have. For a number of different reasons, not the least of which is that I remain incredibly proud that the work that me and other 
people, men and women on and off the field did for decades and decades actually set up the opportunities that they are now uh, being, uh, being rewarded with. That's a, that's a good thing. All right. And I can certainly see past my own deficiencies as a player, even as a person in the past and, and recognize that you want the best for the future. You want the best for your children. And in a certain sense, these are our children and giving them better opportunities is something that, that we've talked about for years. And now it is actually, um, that it is actually playing out. I, unlike you, Greg, um, have never seen uh, Giorena's toes, any of them. So I, I can't properly assess how good um, his toes individually or collectively are, but as a soccer player, I can absolutely say that he is much better of a attacking player than I ever was going forward. And so if that <laughs> answers your question, I hope that it... I hope that it does. Um, I like to think that when I am defending, if to use your word, you know, MLS or a player or a coach or anything out there, I am giving you reasons as to why I readily admit and raise my hand that I have history and I have baggage and I have biases as a human being. I will always bring those to the table because it's impossible uh, not to. But ultimately, Greg, I'm 52 years old. I haven't played in, gosh, 20 years now, almost 20 years. I'm still involved in the game. All right. I still make my living in the game. And you're still calling up on the State of the Union podcast hotline and leaving me a message. So I'm winning. <laughs> I imagine uh, immediately after hanging up with us, Greg called WFAN to yell about the Jets quarterback situation. Doesn't well, he feel like that type? After, you know. After lunch with, you know, his mom brought down the, the meatloaf. Um. But uh, that phone call mm -hmm. and the venom directed at you <laughs> is a great segue for our One for the Road, where right. you're going to address your children and sure, how they sure, cope sure. with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good segue, uh, and it's a good uh, moment to, uh, to tease. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, it is the end of the show, and I'll tell you all about... Um, well, I won't tell you all about them, but I'll tell you a little bit about my children and my relationship with my children uh, relative to, like you said, some of the criticism that I get. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It is uh, the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road, as we have been teasing uh, throughout the show. Uh, I thought I'd just talk a little bit about the, you know, the persona and the character that I inhabit. Um, the reaction that that I get. You mentioned yesterday at the uh, at the game, you know the uh, the booze. I first off, for mo for most of my life, I have at times gone out and been booed, especially in an open, big type of setting like that. Not only does it does it not phase me uh, in in a negative way, but I. I eat it up. I love it. It makes me so, so happy. In the you know the grand tradition of playing a heel and you know your 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 wrestling world and and all that kind of stuff. People want a person and a persona to direct their uh, their anger and criticism, whether it's faux anger or not. They still want someone to direct it to it, and they enjoy doing that. So I'll be your Huckleberry, no problem. Uh, so, uh, so bring it on. You mentioned, yes, I was sitting next to my, my kids and you know, I, my kids actually, I didn't have to sit them down at any point because they live in a modern world. We live in 2023 and it's next to impossible for me to screen or shield them from the, the world of information in which they live and which they live, uh, live in. And so that the fact that there are people out there that say mean things, uh, either online or in a stadium uh, or on the street, is not any surprise to them. I will say that the interaction that, that I have individually is dramatically different 
than the interaction the interaction that I would have in a group or in this case a crowd setting. And as we've talked about it before, it's much easier in a group setting to do things that you normally wouldn't dare do in a one on one. My son uh, was first off, he was laughing on the car ride home when we started talking about it. And the first thing he did when he got home was go up uh, and uh, tell his tell his mom, my wife, that, hey, dad got booed at the game tonight. It was awesome. <laughs> so he, I, I think already, and maybe it's just because of, you know, living in this type of world, has developed a thick skin and has developed a, um, you know, an understanding and a nature of the difference between perception and the difference between reality and the difference between who his father is on television or in an entertainment context to who his father is uh, at, uh, at home. So that's good. I'm glad that he, that he has done that. I'm not going to lie to you. At times I, I worry or worried that it, that it might affect them, but they live their own lives and they have a million different things going on. And so most of the time it's really, they don't just don't even care. And if, and when it does impact them, it's in a way where you know, I guess it's it's family, Mossy. They 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 feel a protective type of reaction is necessary, and I love that. They're very very young, but that they've that they've done that, which you know is what you should do. And I would do anything and protect them, if probably even more so from the outside. But they've developed a context and they have developed nuance, which I know is oftentimes very very difficult to find in this world. And that they are so young and still are able to do that says a lot about them. And so I remain incredibly proud of the way that they, uh, that they handle that. I can vouch for the personal interactions. I've been with you on the road a million times, covering games, hanging out in hotel lobbies and such. And yeah, whenever people come up to you, it's always a love fest. Thank you so much for everything you've done, Alexi. We love you. And you take, you're always very kind. You take pictures. Even in Doha, whenever we were done taping the pod and we would walk back to our offices, you'd always stop and take pictures with a million people. Look, so I've said before, if the worst thing in the world is somebody wants to hang with you for a couple seconds and tell you how much they enjoy your work or take a picture or sign an autograph, then you live a charmed life. And I've t- I said before, like, this is 15 seconds out of their lifetime that they are going to base their perception of me on. And so it might not be fair, but that's just the reality. I want to make sure that, you know, that, it, that, it's, that it's a positive one. I'm sorry to keep harping this, but how old is your son? I have a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old, 17-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old. I don't talk about them often and you don't see them and that's by design but uh, you know, obviously I love them and I'm incredibly proud of the young people that they that they are they they don't they they play soccer not at any high level they follow soccer only because of what their father does um and you know they they roll their eyes like <laughs> like others do so my last memory of the young man I mentioned this mm-hmm. at the top of the pod we used to tape uh, this podcast uh, in this different part of town, Playa Vista, where the digital offices used to be. And you brought him in a few times and yeah. he sat in the chair right next to me as we were taping. And this kid could not sit still. He was shuffling around the chair the entire time. It was so distracting. I finally had to stop down one day. He's like, can you s- <laughs> sit still so I can do this? And- well, this kid now is taller than you and would kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, I know it's uh, I you know I appreciate you humoring him and tolerating him. At, I'm good uh, with kids. The, you that. are you are actually you are incredible uh, with kids. And and to throw it back to you also, Masi, in terms of the interact inter- interaction that we have, as we said, you know the when it's actually a personal interaction, it's incredibly positive, and people are are wonderful and kind to to me, and inevitably. When I'm talking, even last night when I was talking to people, they will ask about you and they will say, you know, please give Mossy my best. Is Mossy around? Uh, I love Mossy. All of those different, uh, all of those different things. And so I, I'm constantly putting that in my bag and my pocket. And now I continue to bring them back out to you and tell you how much people out there love you and appreciate about everything that you do. This is the point where your mom is going to tell you, yeah, you, you know, you, know, you reciprocate that type of uh, stuff, which you actually did already. So this is, this is good here. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. Are you sure? Yes. You anything else you want to say? I feel like there's a little kernel in there that you want to get out. No? Nothing. Okay, listen. 
Uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your uh, your week and re reviewing and uh, subscribing and rating and downloading and doing all the different things uh, that you do. And whether you're listening or whether you're watching, uh, we thank you for, uh, you know, for your patronage. And we thank you for spending a little bit of time. Now, twice a week when it comes to the State of the Union. Again, uh, follow us out there on all the social media platforms. And uh, like Greg from New York. Uh, who sent in his uh, his uh, his question? Feel free on the State of the Union podcast hotline six five seven five four nine two two nine seven to call up and tell me how awesome I am, or tell me what a piece of you know what I am. It doesn't matter. You know, we we take we take them all. So um, my best to uh, to Greg and to Joe and to everybody else out there. We will be back again next week, and who knows where we will be when it comes to U.S. soccer? Never a dull moment, my friend, when it comes to U.S. soccer, which makes our job a whole lot easier because it provides us incredible uh, content. But we will see you again next week right here on the State of the Union podcast. And until then, and as always, size the deck.